0: Welcome to Time to Show Up, the podcast and community that supports you to flourish and grow in your personal and professional life.
1: There's no better time to show up than now. Today, we're speaking with Alison Coward, a renowned thought leader and team culture consultant with 20 years of experience in leading and facilitating creative teams. As a strategist, workshop facilitator, coach, trainer, keynote speaker, and author of A Pocket Guide to Effective Workshops, she's sought after by top-tier clients such as Google, Euronext, Barclaycard, Welcome Trust, and Channel 4. Alison's passion lies in balancing creativity, productivity, and collaboration to help teams thrive and do their best work together. And her new book, Workshop Culture, A Guide to Building Teams That Thrive, is out now. In this conversation, we explore what it means to move our focus from our head to our body, how to navigate major life events, and balancing the drive for perfection with self-compassion. We also touch on the importance of self-facilitation and managing different aspects of oneself within group work, the power of taking one step at a time, making small commitments towards larger life changes, and how making lasting, meaningful differences is easier when done in community. We hope you enjoy the interview. Alison, I'm very excited to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to show up for us today. How are you doing? Yeah,
2: I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited, anxious and excited at the same time.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that phrase. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fine line. Um, well, we're, we're very ex- I'm very excited. I'm going to speak for you.
0: I'm excited, too. Okay. I'm a little anxiety. I'm always, I always have a little bit of anxiety before With these, these conversations. things, which I think just the right level is probably good for these sorts of yeah. things. Yeah.
1: So, so let's start then, because why not? Um, and I'd like to ask, if, if you were to describe yourself to a stranger, someone who's never met you, about who is Alison Coward, what might you begin to sort of say to them about who you are at this moment in your life? Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the first thing
2: that, that comes to my head is how I usually introduce myself as like the founder of a team culture consultancy. Um, but of mm-hmm. course, I'm so much more than that, aren't I? Um, I am a <laughs> a mum to two cats who I love dearly. Um, I'm a Londoner. Um, I'm a daughter. I'm a big sister. Um, I am, um, gosh, can
1: you give me another, another question, another prompt? (laughs) It's really hard to answer that. Okay. I'll ask you another prompt. Um, and this is something that we do in our kind of, in our music night gatherings and it might be too off the wall. So if it's too off the wall, you let me know. And we've not done it on here before. If you were to describe yourself at the moment as a body of water, and it could be anything from (laughs) a glacier to subterranean deep dark cold stream to a storm like or the steam of a a kettle boiling like could be anything how would you describe yourself as a body of water right now without a doubt yeah i mean that's the
2: first thing that came into my mind i feel like there's a there's a sense of um yeah like trying to fight trying to find balance so i'm kind of seeing the wave but the surfer on the wave so trying to find balance and trying to um I would say command control, trying to get to a level where things are kind of stable, but knowing that that takes a lot of negotiating
1: Mm. and a lot of
2: focus and concentration, but also a sense of like kind of riding with it.
1: Hmm. Oh I oh, love that. That, that worked was very really well. Yeah. It yeah. <laughs> was you. a very descriptive vital image. Um Yeah, it's yeah.
0: nice to get a get a sense of you um <laughs> outside that kind of usual narrative. So a, a wave. And now now I'm going to give you the opportunity for a little bit of a narrative but kind of going for uh what I frame as a formative experience. And I, I wonder if you could tell us maybe about um a shaping formative experience that brought you to where you are today. And that could be the kind of work that you do, the fact that we're having this conversation. You kind of look like you've recognised something already, so I'm going I'm to hand it over to you.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think there's so much, but the first thing that comes to my mind, and I feel that this has, um, it hasn't defined my whole life, but it's definitely defined a lot of my outlook on life. But I, um, I felt ill in 2016. Um, I had a, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I had an autoimmune flare, and I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And I think the lead up to it, I was just feeling, I was feeling sort of not myself for, for quite a while, definitely in the year before, sort of having lots of symptoms. Um, and as usual with sort of autoimmune conditions, you're going to the doctor, they can't really find anything. Um, they put it down to sort of a lot of, other different things and can't really find anything in tests that kind of thing, which is a bit frustrating. Um, but then I finally got very, very ill at the beginning of 2016 and progressively worse, um, to the Mm. point where sort of the doctor was kind of getting me to come back every week and to see if I was okay. And I I sort of had this blood test. Finally, all the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And one doctor looked at me and said, Oh, you need to test for this. Um, and I had this blood test and, um, literally she was like, that's the thing you need to, like, you need to go into hospital now. And I, I spent a week in hospital, um, sort of with the doctors trying to figure out what was going on. And I think sort of being, I don't know, in the, in the lead up to that, I kind of felt quite helpless because there was, there weren't these answers as to, you know, what was wrong with me. And I didn't know what I needed to do um Mm. to get onto the other side and to get well again at the same time it was quite bizarre because I I kind of also knew that when I did get to the other side of it it would be quite a formative experience um (laughs) anyway um in hospital um doctors come in sort of gradually starting to figure out what was wrong with me um or what it was that I was experiencing and I think you know sitting in the hospital bed there was one thought and it was like I don't want to like I, don't, I don't like being in hospital. I mean, obviously, I've run my own yeah. business. There's lots of things going on and felt quite um, everything felt quite out of control. But I remember sort of sitting there in the bed thinking, right, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to not get back into this bed. Like, I don't want to have this experience of being hmm. in hospital again for this thing. Um, so I remember sort of coming out of hospital and just, I mean, I was there for a week, um, but I think the minute I came out, I started researching the condition that the doctors had um, diagnosed me with and just f- trying to find stories of people that had it. Um, it was quite scary at first because the autoimmune condition that I was diagnosed with, and there's a reason I say was diagnosed with rather than I have. So the auto, autoimmune condition that I was diagnosed with is actually quite rare. Um, <laughs> and there wasn't that much about it. And actually there was some very scary kind of prognosis as well you know i hadn't really seen anybody any examples of people that had come through on the other side um but then i did um come across some research around sort of, you know lifestyle and diet um and just started on my own sort of road to recovery um i remember sort of having some very sort of tricky conversations with doctors um mm. that were telling me that i needed to take this medication for the rest of my life and this and i was just just didn't really like the idea of it. Um, of course, I understand the value of medication for um, you know acute um, situations, but I was kind of thinking, mm. Mm, I'm sure like, a lot of the stuff was like immunosuppressants. And I was like, mm, I'm sure that we need our immune mm. system. I don't quite want to suppress it for the rest of my life. So I just kind of started on my own journey of sort of discovering um, how I could get well um, myself um, and I guess sort of, you know, started on that journey as of 2020, I'm was off all medication, actually saw one of the specialists last week and, um, she was, you know, she just continues to be kind of quite surprised by how I've recovered and her words were, you know, you, people that are diagnosed with this usually have a very tricky course. Um, so I'm really pleased oh. that you've kind of, you know, recovered and continue to, to recover in this way. Um, so I think there were so many things around that, not just in terms of the physical health, but in terms of the emotional and mental side of it, in terms of being determined mm. to get well. Um, and also what that taught me about, um, I guess, how I was before um, I got diagnosed and um, yeah, what I wasn't prepared to go back to. Hmm. I
0: was just going to say, it sounds like it was a a clarifying moment for you that before and after going through that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: definitely.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious about the, so the determination piece, I mean, I've, I've known you for a long time. I'm glad to say, and I've always experienced you as very determined and clear sighted and you really go for things. Um, Kind of not so much in a sort of semi-focused way, like you include your relationships. You know, some people who kind of just go, "Right, I'm just going to go this," but you have this determination to. You. And I'm I'm curious about when you when you made that choice to do whatever was in your was within your power to not end end up back in that bed for that reason again. Um, what helped you to make those steps? Because anyone who's had any kind of um, quite significant diagnosis. We'll know that it, it can be quite a thorny and painful road to recovery. There's all sorts of emotional responses, psychologically you know we can tailspin very easily when, when we're met with with painful news that's unexpected. Um, what helped you to get that resolve and move forward?
2: You know, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting you say that about being determined because I was telling another friend about this experience I hadn't <laughs> seen for a while, and she just said to me, like "That's just such an Alison response." And I kind of thought, I don't know what really, <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but I guess like people around me don't tend to don't seem to be surprised that that's the route that I took. Whereas I thought yeah. that I learn a lot from it, um, and I think you know, with this specific situation as well, I think you know it's really important that luck does come into this kind of stuff as well. You know, I don't think that mm. um, it's possible to deal with any, all health issues in this way. You know, there are so many different factors, mm. I think, in this particular situation. I was relatively lucky um, because, one, I had access to information. Two, I think that the information out there was um, quite developed at the time, as well like I was able if this had happened 10 years ago I think it would be a very different story for me um yeah actually it was well I guess probably I say 15 years ago because it was this coming up to Mm -hmm. sort of seven years now anyway um I think um I don't know I just uh, I'm very independent I think I'm very independent and I don't Mm -hmm. like um you know to a fault having to rely on things or people around me to get to do what I want to do. And yeah. I think being, let well, not say being at the whim of, but being directed by, I guess people outside of me, like the special, I mean, you know, people are experts, right? They know this symptom. They've, they've seen this condition more than I have in my life at the same time. I've seen me more than anybody else has seen in, you know, seen me than anybody else has seen me in their life. So, you know, I wanted to sort of take as much control over it as much as I knew about myself because seeing a specialist mm. every month is not the same as living with myself for, you know, every single minute of every single day. Um, and I didn't want to leave like my future up to someone that I was going to see for an hour every month. I, you know, I'm sure for me, there's, I'm sure, I was sure there was more stuff that I could be doing. Um, and I also just had this image of myself as well, of just being well again. Um, and it really kept me going. I keep on sort of going back to this image of me. I mean, the, the, the condition that I had um, affected my muscles. Um, so it was really sort of quite a struggle to, to move around. And I just had this image of me like jumping on the beach. And that was like something that, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to get to that point where I felt like I had that energy again.
0: You said something really interesting there about your friend. You know that's a really Alison response, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, it, it it's part of our getting to know you questions, mm. and uh, and and that is what do you think are the main differences between how people perceive you and how you perceive yourself? So when someone says that's a real Alison response, does that feel that that meets your internal image of yourself? Is it? Uh, do you think that people have a different idea than what's going on inside?
2: Oh yeah, or are they getting it. I right? mean, I think that's the case with everyone. I mean, I think externally people only see a snapshot so I think what people see of me are um you know when I've made decisions they hear the decision rather than the stuff that's gone on in my head <laughs> to make that decision um, and I've got a very I guess um good way of um sounding clear hmm. sounding like I'm sh- I won't say sure of myself but I think because I've gone through so much that I think a lot I'm a, I'm a very heady person, so by the time I say something, I've often thought a lot about it anyway. So the mm. end kind of result um, is sounds like a lot of clarity. Um, I think, I think, yeah. I guess I am. Um, that also means that I'm quite thoughtful. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying that in a way to, um, you know, compliment myself, but I I think about things a lot and I think about the impact of things. Um, The Alison response, I guess what my friend was relating to was. Yeah, I guess my my tendency to create clear plans around anything, like if I've decided that I want something, then. I do, I guess, strategize and think about it a lot. And for the most part, I do take action if it's something that I I know that I want. So
0: it sounds like people might see the results of the action, but not necessarily all the machinations that are going on before that action
2: happens. Mm. Absolutely.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And what's one of the most surprising things or unexpected things about either that period or, or a different period that, that have kind of led you to where you are now in your, in your career and in your life?
2: most surprising thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's surprising, but I think it's a, it's a, um, it's a realization of the fact that we are, I am, you are, everyone is always going to be trying to figure things out. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, you look at people and you think they've got it all sorted. Um, And I guess this is, you know, relating back to my friends saying, oh, that's such an Alison response, seeing the decision, um, or the result of the actions. I guess it's an uncomfortable place to be, but there's, you know, there's always learning to do. I don't think I mean, personally, I don't feel as old as I get that I'll ever get to a point where I'm like, this is it now, because the minute I do feel that, then I'm onto, <laughs> onto the next <laughs> thing. And that's frustrating about me because I, I guess in the figuring out what I'm trying to figure out is getting to a place of stability or certainty but then knowing when i get to that place of stability and certainty i'm quickly trying to find the next thing that i need to figure out and i guess i guess what's surprising about <laughs> yeah. that is that i thought that when i got to a place of stability and certainty i would stop mm. right and
0: then, and then it just happens all over again in some in some kind of a way
2: it happens all over again yeah
0: um i wonder if you could expand a little bit more about what you discovered in this clarification process, let's call it, with, with your illness. So it sounds like, the, well, kind of two, two things seem to have happened. It, you were starting to indicate, as far as I understood it, right, that you're a really busy woman, right? And then this thing happens that kind of gets in the way of you being able to be busy, which probably meant that you had to let go of stuff that was previously unlet goable and all that kind of stuff. And then that that becomes a focus, right? And then you come on the other side and then you realize, I don't want to to do that before stuff anymore. So could you say something about what the before stuff is that you identified you didn't want to return to? And I'm also curious about whether you think you would have come to that realization had you not had an illness or whether it would have taken longer, whether you kind of had some indications of it before but hadn't quite recognized it. Just Mm -hmm. fill us in... Some of those details, if you could.
2: I think one of the the, the one of the biggest things, um, as I mentioned, I live in. I'm quite a heady person, so I live in my head quite a lot. So I think that a lot of the feeling into my mm. body and like listening to my body was just not there before. I was really surprised by. Um, once I'd got out of hospital and sort of being forced to slow down, I was really surprised by the level of anxiety that lived in my body um, before. And I think I had just accepted that level of anxiety as just the state, how things were. Um, And... I guess realizing that that was you know that that energy that sort of heightened energy all the time just wasn't sustainable and I, you know if i'm honest it probably led in some part to me falling ill mm. um so it's
0: almost like an ignorance of of what was going on like below the neck in a sense yeah mm.
2: uh-huh. exactly yeah 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 I, I think someone laughed at me when i called Remember where I described this, but I was like, I used to. I think I was like a a walking. I was just a walking head. Yeah, <laughs> I can
1: relate that to images. that. Yes, yes, yes. Me too. <laughs> but it's true. It's such a good imagery yeah. for, you know, like head forward and everything else is just mm. like to get the head around. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Um, I mean, it's not funny, but it's like you know, it's funny. Well cycle. it resonates, doesn't it? It resonates. Yes. And
2: I think um, I mean I'm still guilty of that. I am still guilty of that, but I think I'm definitely much more aware of my body and realising all the pieces that needs needed to need to come together to I guess um, see create create a, a more healthy image of what success looks like for me. Mm. I guess it forced forced me to be a bit more rounded in what I was, I guess figuring out. Um, Yeah, I guess sort of a lot more more rounded, and I think more more things. I think more things matter um you know i mean like now for example this pops into i don't even know if it's relevant we'll see where it goes but you know one of the things that um i I chose to do was completely change my diet i think you know for me i think that's been sort of the biggest factor in me um i guess recovering Mm. um, and getting to a place where i felt that i could stop the medication that had been prescribed um, which were sort of immunosuppressants and steroids, um, and when when that happened, when I decided to, to to transition to a different diet, it was. I mean, it's really hard. Like any mm. kind of change is difficult. You, I, mean, I did it really gradually. I cut things out. Um, I um, you know started eating some more things. Every time I went to the supermarket, I'd you know pick something up and I'd look at the label. Um, and I, you know, I had a list with me all the things I could have and I couldn't have. Um, and it mean, meant that I now, well, I had to start cooking more or less everything from scratch. Um, now that's just how I do things. Um, and you know, I realise it is a bit of a pain when I'm busy, like cooking things from scratch. Um, but at the, at the same time, it's a realization that that is a promise that I'm keeping to myself. Hmm. Um, and seeing that path, you know, I've been, I mean, I mostly, according to the paleo diet, and that's been since really the end of 2016. where at, you know, 2023 now, I've also stopped drinking alcohol. Um, and since that time, and when I look back on those things, it's like, you know, I did all of that for me mm. to get healthy. And there's something in that that <clears throat> kind of gives me, I guess, a bit of faith in myself. In a sense.
1: Um It's interesting that also you said that the kind of because that's a coming back to this idea of like what people see on the outside is the decision and the change. And especially, you know, I hadn't seen you since before the pandemic, because a lot of people haven't seen and I don't live in the UK anymore. And so it's very easy to get snapshots of people's Mm. lives and be like, look at Alison, isn't she doing this amazing thing? You know, on paper, you look at the bullet points and I think one of the things that really strikes me about what you've just described is the fact that you, it sounds to me from the outside in, were compassionate with yourself and did it step by step. It wasn't suddenly an overnight thing of now everything changes and I'm going to completely sort out my diet. It was, it was a kind way to make really quite significant change that you were then able to um, integrate into your life and like, that you were able to keep your promise to yourself. Uh, and there's something quite, I don't know, tender <laughs> from my perspective, looking at that journey of how you accompanied yourself into a different lifestyle that if you look at the before and after, let's say, without that that gradual progress, are quite distinct pictures. Mm. You know what's interesting as you say that. This might be
2: taking it in a slightly different direction, mm. but I, I think also, and this has come to my mind, but you saying it has really um, grounded this for me. Is This has also changed this has also had an impact on how now at Bracket we work with clients and because before um I mean this is how you know you know me Natalie which is a workshop facilitator Mm -hmm. going in and facilitating these workshops and they're you know kind of one-off like impactful but one-off events um and over time i mean i I don't know if it was 2016 maybe it was before that but i had this kind of vision to transition more into sort of working with teams over a period of time um to do sort of you know team culture transformation Mm -hmm. i mean the the interest has always been collaboration and i've always been very passionate about bringing people together but some somewhere along the journey i decided you know what i actually want to work with teams over a longer period of time Mm -hmm. and um I just written in a book and the, it, it's a, a book called workshop culture, but I have this five pillar framework and the final frame, the final pillar of the framework is change. Hmm. And, um, you know, the, 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 principle behind it is, is that, you know, you want to make these small changes over a period of time and you want to keep coming back to it. So I guess in being more compassionate with myself and realizing that and actually going through that process of transformation for myself, I've understood much more about the process of behavior change And how we adopt habits for the long term, adopt, um, you know, lifestyle changes for the long term. And it was, you know, I had to, when I was changing my diet, I dropped things out one by one gradually until the point now, six months, six years later, I didn't even have to think about it. It's completely fully integrated into my life. And I think, you know, I know now um, it's regardless of, you know, what where you're doing it, why you're doing it and for what reason, if you want sustainable change to happen, that's largely how change happens. Like we can be forced into it from mm-hmm. a from a drastic event like, you know, my illness. I don't know whether I would have transitioned to the paleo diet if it wasn't for the fact that I felt ill because there wasn't really any need for me to do it. It didn't feel like there was any need. I kind of felt that I felt healthy, I was relatively active, um, you know, I didn't feel that I needed to do anything like that from a health point of view. But there was other things going on, probably from an emotional, mental lifestyle, not being compassionate with myself point of view, where that change became necessary. Um, and through that, those gradual changes, um, I've got to a stage where, you know, I achieved a goal of being well and not identifying with this illness. Like, that's why I say I'd like to say that I was diagnosed with, because for me, it feels like a past version of me rather than, who I am now mm-hmm. and I think it's really important for me in my journey not to identify someone who has that condition but someone who was diagnosed with it.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I definitely want to put a pin in that one because I think identifying with conditions and in, in certain categories can be really limiting and I think it's, it comes up a lot in these interviews but the frame that you're offering here well, again I always draw on the psychological frame for it um, is really interesting I want to dig into it a little bit so I would say like there's probably like two different It's probably more than that, but basically like two different motivators for change, right? So one of them is like super egoic, which is the you must change, right? Mm. And the other one is this more gentle one that I think you're referring to, a self-advocacy change, Mm. that often people who are into the super ego, which is always the finger waggy, you're not good enough, catch up,
2: be at war with your
0: body. (laughs) Yeah, that
2: was me. I think that was me before.
0: That's what I'm wondering about, because it sounds like that anxiety-filled walking (laughs) ahead (laughs) <laughs> was a lot about um, musts and shoulds. And and often people, when they change their diets, it's super egoic. Yeah. They're at war with their bodies. They don't like their bodies. It's all about restriction and sacrifice. And then they fail, right? And you know, there's some research that shows like something like 9 out of 10 people who are diagnosed with a chronic heart condition find it difficult to change the habits that are contributing to that condition. And in fact, there's a book that we'll talk about later, And it's interesting that you had a an autoimmune issue because the book is called Immunity to Change, and it's about how when we want to change, it's almost like an immune system response that that mitigates against it. So
2: interesting, yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's great. We'll put it in the show notes. It's it's Leahy and Keegan, Immunity to Change, and they actually have a process of how you can identify what contradicts your desire to change. You know, and I think I need to read that book. (laughs) <laughs> fat book full of highly researched, really good, but um, it's it's a real commitment. But I guess what I, what I'm saying is, yeah. So you maybe you could say something from your personal experience, which then informed your work, that you moved from a super egoic motivation, you must, you must, you must, deadline, deadline, do, 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 yeah, to self advocacy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which stuck. Right. So like you managed to make that transition. Um, and I wonder, and I'm sure there's still the superego stuff. Cause obviously that, that, <laughs> yes, that doesn't go away. <laughs>
1: we can't escape yeah? that
0: <laughs> But maybe could you say something about how those different voices feel and sound, right. Cause you can kind of tell when you're being pushed or shoved or being advocated for within yourself.
1: That's such a good question.
2: Yeah. Oof. Um, You know what's? I I think it's it's a really difficult question to answer because I can see both sides of those, (laughs) and I think it's very easy to kind of flip between each of those sides without even recognising it. So um, yeah, I guess I guess um, this might be a little bit embarrassing to say, but I think I had an experience a couple of weeks ago where. And we were having sort of this conversation before the before we kind of officially started recording, which was like, it feels like, you know, September, people are kind of woken up and things are kind of kicking into gear. Mm-hmm. I think before that, I was feeling a slight frustration with things not perhaps moving in the way that I mm-hmm. was hoping them to. It felt, things felt like a little bit stuck. Things felt like they were moving a little bit slow, slow, um, too slow. And um, it was a Saturday and I... I think it was the afternoon and I decided to take an, a nap. And as I was taking the nap, I was, I kind of said to myself, well, you're frustrated with the fact that things are not moving, but you're taking a nap. Like, well, which is it? What do, you, do you want to like give yourself time to relax or do you want to get up and make things happen? And so I think, you know, there's both the, the compassion for myself. I needed a nap mm-hmm. and I deserve a nap because I work really hard. And then the other, which was, why are you taking a nap? Because you're not getting the things done that you want to get done. So I think sometimes those two voices can exist at the same time. It looks like you kind of recognize that as well.
0: Um, did you take yeah. your nap or did you, what, what happened in the end of kids?
2: I took a nap with the resolve that once I got up, I was going to go for it. Oh, that so it was like, like okay, You take compromise. a 20 minute nap and then once you get up then you know, you're not, you're, you're, you're straight into it. Mm-hmm. Good
1: negotiation
0: there. I think those, those <laughs> yeah, internal yeah. conversations are so important yeah yeah and to recognize yeah. to recognize that we're divided and conflicted and you have to come to some kind of yeah. agreement inside right
1: yeah it's tricky though it's funny because one of the things I find myself and I'm giggling was you're talking about that because it, it is it's like you tune into these different channels of conversation all happening at the same time but at different levels sort of if you like like a radio station maybe. Um, and one of the things I often think is especially if I want to rest because I find it really hard to rest uh, and someone said this to me the other day in not so many words, but I've heard it from various different folks, which is, you know, this capitalist system just wants you to be productive. And is that all you are as a human? And one of the most radical things you can do to kind of like do that to the system is to rest. And that somehow appeals to a part of me that's quite like the fighter part. Oh, that oh, looks good. Me my, my friend, friend is resistance. me this um, Yeah, for yeah. those
0: of you that are listening, oh, could you hold it up again? Because some people just be listening. Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hershey free yourself from grind culture and reclaim your life
1: that looks amazing
0: yeah I'm definitely the best person in this room for resting napping is my favorite thing (laughs) to do and I'm absolutely happy to do it at every opportunity
1: (laughs) but there is something in framing it so that the superego gets off your back because like as long as my superego has got something to kind of like get its teeth into or to fight then somehow that kind of quality of feeling gets it off my back it's like well, if I'm mm-hmm. resting because fuck the system, <laughs> you know, I, I love, you know, making a good living in the rest of it. So it's not like, you know, it's not an evil, but when it becomes such, sort of self detrimental and you need to find a pathway to, to better well-being, then it's nice to kind of have these tricks up your sleeve.
0: But I think knowing what to listen to, and I'm curious because you work in workshops, right? So often with groups, right? They are just multi-person representations of the oh. internal world, right? So you'll have the super <laughs> yeah. ego member of the group, you'll have the compassionate person, you'll have the person that wants to rest a little bit too much <laughs> in the other one. Yeah, so maybe you could say something about what you've learned about that, that uh, mirroring.
2: <laughs> that is what I love about the work that I do is that, I'm going to, every situation that I walk into, it's going to be like a multitude of personalities and characteristics and ways of seeing the world. And I guess I see my role as a facilitator is, you know, I want to help that group make progress, but part of making progress is helping them to understand each other and understand each other's perspectives. yeah, there's a group that I'm working with at the moment, and it's so interesting that they are... Um, they, It's almost like there's a continuum of um, sort of perspectives on this particular situation. Hmm. And having spoken to all, all of them individually, they're all amazing, and they're all right, and they're all wrong <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, I, I love that complexity, and I guess... As, as I'm speaking to you and listening to you, I guess that's something that I love about those voices that happen, those, those conversations that I have with myself as well. Um, it is about understanding all of those perspectives and kind of negotiating and finding a way for those perspectives to coexist because they, they will exist. Like not, I'm not really going to find a way for one to overpower the other. Um, unless I go back to a way that's kind of unsustainable, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that super ego does drive me forward, but then I got ill. That kind of desire to rest does give me the kind of, I guess, the, the compassion for myself, but then there will always be something in me that wants to achieve and do things because that's just in my nature. And so I'm always going to be negotiating those two parts of myself um and I guess the self-advocacy is the the self-care is the newer part of myself. There's a, a really interesting
1: writer called Jeremy Mann. Jeremy Mann? Jeremy Lent. Jeremy Mann's the artist. I've been th- I've been too deep in the world of artists. Anyway, Jeremy Lent Lent, he wrote a book called Webs of Meaning, and he talks about it as a democracy of consciousness or a democracy of selves, in the sense that we you know, when you're talking about the group work and each individual almost or, uh, like kind of almost occupies a different archetypal role somehow and you see this in family constellations and things like this but that we have a democracy of selves and sometimes it's the two key voices that allowed us sometimes you can bring in these other little voices and turn them up but that, that, that mean that you're in this constant dialogue or conversation depending on how many parts are active in the moment to figure out how to move forward um it's really yeah. curious Yeah.
2: That's facilitation. It mm. is like bringing all of those voices together, in a, and trying to help them move forward. Um, when I when when people bring me or Bracket or one of our associates in, they're, they're often stuck. Mm. No one wants to make the first move, and everyone wants to make the first move. Um, and so, yeah, you're 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 there to bring all of those voices up and to help people see that actually that's, I mean, that's the challenge, but also that's the richness of the group as well. Like you don't want to lose those perspectives because then it wouldn't make your group, your group. Yeah. And I guess it's the same with us as our, you know, the different perspectives that we have, we don't want to lose or kind of overpower too much, any part of ourselves because mm-hmm. that combination of all of those different perspectives is what makes us unique.
0: Have you ever heard of um, the organizational physics model? No. I learned about that recently I, I can't go into the detail I don't know by heart, but th- there was a really great metaphor which is something like if you're getting a team to take a rowboat across the river, right There's someone who wants to get in and just start rowing and get over there. there's that's the person yeah, there's the person who's like, well have we packed lunch? are there are there um, life vests in there? Uh, is there a dock on the other side for us? There's the other one that's saying, well, maybe if we put in a sail we could get there. Faster. There's a you know, the other person who wants to get everybody to row on time. And and it's just this great kind of model because like we as soon as you read it, you know who you are and you know who those people are, right? Yeah. And you were saying, you know, that's facilitation. And and I wonder, and this is like a big ask of you, and I'm sorry, but we, we got a limited time and I'm really curious. But like as a facilitator, what do you think is one of the most important pieces in getting those different roles to actually hear each other, because it's not just about hearing each other, but they, they lose patience with each other really soon, right? Like the innovators lose patience with yeah. the people who wanna to move too fast and the organizers lose patience with the ones who wanna start straight away. Have you discovered a kind of key to that?
2: You know, I think the first step, and it's interesting, so I have having a conversation like this before we spoke, but the first step is most of those people don't even realize what character they are in that group so they don't even have the self-awareness that they are the person that wants to row fast or they're the person that is thinking about the line so the first step is there getting them to recognize themselves and what part they're playing and then when you have the conversation like you know you that that specific example you need all of those people on the boat but they will need they're needed at different times and if you can first of all get people to recognize what part they're playing and then facilitate a conversation so that everyone can see everyone's role and where they're needed and why and how and when, that's a first step to, I mean, it's completely, you know, my, my framework is align, um, cohesion, communication, design and change. So alignment is we want to get across the river um, in the boat. Mm. Um the cohesion is okay, so this is the part that I play in getting us across the river in the boat. How are we gonna let me understand a little bit more about your role in getting across, getting us across the river in the vote. The communication is, OK, what do we need to kind of start with and have a conversation around? Um, or what types of conversations do we need to have to get us across the vote? The design is what processes are we going to use Um and design and rituals and routines and you know to get us get us across the river and the changes as we're going across the river are we sure that we're on track and what do we need to tweak and change to make sure that we go straight ahead rather than to the left
0: that's <laughs> why you need more than one workshop to kind of make so- <laughs> sure that you keep checking in yeah.
2: right so i've absolutely- really well. mm-hmm. managed to bring in like the framework of my work with um into this conversation. But yeah, I, the, the cohesion piece is, for me, cohesion stuff, that to be able to connect with with others, you have to understand yourself. And I think a lot of us don't, we don't have that level of self-awareness, not because we are not able to, because it might be because one, we're not even aware that that's what's needed. Secondly, we mm. might not have the time to do it. Thirdly, we don't even know, we don't, might not know how to start to build that level of self-awareness in ourselves. Um, and I think that's been part, partly my journey as well over the last, um, you know, going back to sort of being diagnosed, that's been my part of my journey as well, building that level of self-awareness. I don't think it was there before. Um, you know, I mean, you need some kind of, you know, a level of self-awareness to, to do the kind of work that I do, but I don't think that it was there um, in, yeah, in the way that has allowed me to overcome, get to
1: this point. It's interesting as you're mapping out the, you know, alignment, cohesion, communication, design and change. I'm thinking back to the kind of different aspects of self and thinking particularly about the cohesion part, which is, well, actually, and even the alignment part. When we're, when we're having these deep inquiry sessions with people who are wanting to have the space to explore what's maybe blocking them, you know, more in the kind of like coaching type of role. Um Often there's a sense about what the alignment is on, which is I want to make change in my life towards this end. And there's sometimes some clarification that needs to be ha- that needs to be undergone to kind of to get to that point. But then the cohesion piece between the different aspects of mm. self is fascinating and it's so tricky because you can see we had a conversation this morning where there's the excitement and joy gets ramped up and then suddenly you can almost see it across someone's face and their body language when another aspect comes in of self and just kind of takes that volume back down. And then it's like, and it's, it's like a theater of, it's like a, yeah, like a a psycho-emotional theater playing out in front. And so I'm really curious about how with your, we have been talking about your personal journey and how that plays into kind of like the professional journey um, where you see the greatest insight has come as these things have unfolded together. I don't know if I'm sort of reiterating Mm -hmm. your question, but,
2: i mean i feel like i'm getting insights all the time and i think this is the the nature of the always figuring things out mm. um i think there's been sort of one one big moment but as i say i'm a thinker i like to journal i like to kind of you know go on long walks and mull things over in my head um i like to sketch things out so i think i guess that's part of me is that i am i'm always looking for insights I
0: always wonder about how people find themselves in the jobs that they're in, right. Based Mm -hmm. on their personal history and stuff and what draws you towards or away from something. Cause often that'll change in midlife. Like you might be going in a super egoic parental expectation (laughs) direction, and then you have a crisis and then you move into something that you always wanted, but thought you couldn't have all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think particularly in my field in psychotherapy, there's a lot of, Quite frankly, fucked up shit that get people doing that job from their own their own fucked up history or trying to understand themselves. You know, it's often called a shadow profession. You know, you get in there to almost more to understand yourself mm-hmm. than others. But I remember sitting in the back of the and I didn't put this together until many years later. But basically, I, my mother and father and older sister. I just remember sitting in the back of the car, and they were always the three of them were just always arguing and fighting and yelling at each other. And I was just in the back of that car quietly witnessing discord and conflict, right? And I didn't like <laughs> then decide, well I'm gonna be yeah, I'm it. gonna be a psychotherapist, <laughs> right? No, I was definitely super ego. I didn't decide to train until much later. But I realized that actually I was I was learning, right? I was gaining insight into how people operate badly, mm. I guess. Mm. And I, I, I always say my, my family was probably like um averagely dysfunctional. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing terrible but nothing great. Um do you, do you have a story at all about you know, why you end up being this facilitating factor amongst different groups of, of difference like that and being the source of
1: mm.
0: hoping to cause some kind of harmony, I guess, getting people across yeah. that river?
2: I mean, do you know what? I've never thought, thought about it in that way. But I know that a big driver behind what I do is on a very simple level, I, I kind of I want everyone to be kind to each other. I just want everyone to like. I want everyone to have nice lives and good lives and feel fulfilled. And I know that a big part of that is comes from how we interact with others. Mm. Um, like I think I don't know where this came from, but I do have a like. I mean, I guess this this could be um, a perspective from a relatively privileged view in sort of the kind of work that I do. But I do feel it's kind of unnecessary for people to, for example, go to work and have bad days because of other people. Just yeah. <laughs> put so beautifully. beautifully. Yes, very eloquently. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, I mean, there's so, there's so many other problems for us to to solve, right? That if we learn how to get on with other people and work well with other people, then we could focus on solving the big problems that we need to solve, rather than the politics of, and the drama that totally. often gets in the way because of personality clashes. And that is one of my sort of big drivers behind the work that I do. I mean, and I guess I don't talk about that enough, but I do kind of have this this world where people go to work and they're just so energized by the work that they're doing and sort of having. I wouldn't say great relationships because I think relationships are challenging, but it's the ability to be able to work through mm. those relationships and then leave work with energy so that they could put it into other things, mm. um, which is whether that's, I don't know, volunteering in their community or even like making life better for their families or, you know, and this, I don't, I don't know. There's just certain things that I see in the world that I just think this is like just unnecessary. I mean, that's very simplistic to say it in that way. But but
0: kindness is really underrated, isn't it? I feel like Mm. people kind of dismiss kindness and it's so important. Kindness and gentleness and basic gratitude, people thanking each other for, you know, in the workplace, just for sending an email or completing a task, you know, just easing that kind of relational friction that you say is, there's always going to be relational friction, but people can be kinder about
2: it yeah yeah so I, I don't you know i don't know where that came from i mean i know that my interest in collaboration came from um vma that i did um i've always wanted to work in the creative industries or well when i was younger i, I wanted to be a fashion designer actually mm. so i always knew that i'd work in something creative i've always wanted to work in and around kind of creative people. Um, I don't know. I've always wanted to elevate creativity. So I honestly just, I don't really know. I haven't explored it. I don't know where, where it comes from. I mean, it could be, I mean, you know, I grew up mostly as an only child, so maybe it's a want for community. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I, I mean, I, even though I'm kind of a big advocate of collaboration, I do love spending time <laughs> yeah. on my own. So I don't <laughs> I also don't know. Um, So,
0: yeah. But you sound like you have a good nose for it. Like it sounds like you went towards what interested you along Mm. the way. You know, maybe not knowing like a clear motivation in a sense is actually indicative of someone who's just been kind of open to following what energizes you and what interests you and somehow Mm. being able to develop that into Mm. something.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I don't yeah, I don't know where, you know, because when I think about what I'm doing now at Bracket with the sort of team culture consultancy, it has been, you know, from the from the very first iteration of Bracket into what it is now, it has been a real process of evolution. Um yeah. Yeah, so I am I, not quite sure <laughs> where it where it comes from. It just happened.
1: So with with the kind of trajectory that you've taken, because I've always—I think about it like the the Alison question again. Like that's you know such an Alison way to respond. I've always experienced you as someone who's um, very creative, uh, with a, a sort of singular vision, determined, independent, and to see someone who's got these qualities that I really admire use those qualities to bring people together. It's like the you know being quite solitary and also having that collaborative element to it. Um, are there specific challenges that you found quite tricky to move through? And if the answer is yes, how did you plot a way forward for yourself?
2: Um, I mean, like most of these questions, I'm just going to go with the first thing that popped into Mm -hmm. my head is, I think, working for myself Mm -hmm. and the lack of, I guess the lack of that clear path um, and the lack of, I guess for want of a better word, like a line manager or guidance, like having to do a lot of figuring out on my own. Um, that's been a challenge. I think sort of just not, not knowing, um, like when things haven't been working out, um, you know, a question that's often popped into my head is like, is it because I'm not good
1: Mm.
2: and you just never know, Mm. Well, you do know to some extent, but then you also you don't. You second-guess yourself you not know or... Exactly, second-guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, deep down, like, you know, I do believe in the work that I do and I do believe that, you know we deliver for our clients. And I do believe the work that I do is high quality, but then there's always that kind of, yeah, but is it?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, The doubting, the little doubting voice.
0: I mean, we've spoken to a lot of people in this series and certainly in my work as a therapist and this, um, you know, this imposter syndrome is a really big Mm. thing and Mm. a kind of insidious, pernicious self-doubt is a really big thing. Mm. Um, But the way you've just presented your doubt seems to me, um, <clears throat> refreshingly and pathological, <laughs> in, <laughs> in the sense that like, <laughs> yes, <yeah.
2: laughs>
0: I mean maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like you know, like of course, in an ideal situation, one does ask themselves those questions, right? It it did this not work because of something I could have done better, mm-hmm. or is it, or what should I've learned from this, or I'm doubting my process, or I've just written this book and I'm not sure. And it sounds like your relationship to that is really healthy to me. And maybe this is the Allison I'm seeing or the, you know, the one that's behind there. It doesn't
2: feel healthy when I'm going through that. Well, that's what system, I wanted so. to
0: find out. That's what I wanted to find yeah. out. Like whether that self-doubt is actually kind of a pernicious thing that can express itself as imposter syndrome or whether mm-hmm. you feel like you hold it in a kind of place that's more um, critical, but not condemning.
2: Hmm. I mean, I think it's part of me. I think, you know, I, I, I even writing the book that I'm a recovering perfectionist, but <laughs> I think part of me is, um, and it's the figuring out, you know, always figuring out, like always wanting to be better um, and taking that feedback. And it, I think it's a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. I think, like you say, it can be really healthy because that continuous improvement is, I mean, in some ways, it's nourishing um, and it is nice to know that you're always a work in progress and you can be getting better at the same time it can be i mean i guess it can be a little bit paralyzing mm. as well hmm. um what about the before and
0: after because it sounds like before the illness and i don't know if that was part of that like kind of you're mm-hmm. habituated to a high level of anxiety that something shifted in
2: yeah,
0: yeah something let go yeah yeah
2: and that, and I think I think just more the recognition that it's you know I guess um, I think before it wasn't something that I was particularly aware of it just was mm. and I didn't see it as a, as a that, I'm try, trying to I guess in the after it's more I can't say I can switch it on and off but I can see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like the fish in water. That's a good way of looking at it. Before I was a fish in the water. What's water? And, you know, after I'm the fish that's um, swimming past the two young fish saying, how's the water today? You know, because I can, I can see (laughs) the, see the water. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, does do you know that analogy, that kind of little, the, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm conscious we're coming close to time, aren't we? Mm. Um, and I'd love to ask, and this kind of weaves throughout the conversation that we've had, because you <laughs> clearly have a lot of self-awareness and insight. But is there a life lesson that comes to mind now that you feel that you've, you've come to learn quite well? Um, and if so, I'd love to hear about it. And then what's a lesson that you think still needs more care and attention and some work? Oh, gosh, um, <laughs> a life lesson.
2: I think the biggest shift for me, and this is, you know, we haven't spoken about this, but the biggest shift for me was that connection between um, thought and experience. Mm -hmm. So almost like the the way you see the world is the way that the world is. Mm -hmm. And you've got, a choice in how you see the world to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so this, this, just this connection between, you know, thoughts, behavior, feelings, thoughts, behaviors. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but more like change the way that you think. And then you change, what's that phrase, change the way you see things and then, the way that you see things change or something like that I don't know but just that I had more I had more power over um what was happening in my life Mm -hmm. than I thought just by the way that I saw things and the Mm -hmm. way that I thought if I wake up thinking I'm going to have a bad day I'm going to have a bad day Mm -hmm. if I wake up and think you know today could be a good day then I'm more open Mm -hmm. um to, to experiencing and seeing good things also you know it's not I mean, these are some, some of these phrases are really trite, but they're so true, which is, you know, it's not the way that, it's not what happens to you, but it's how you react to how things happen to you. And all of just that, I guess, the self-determination, the kind of having more control over what happens in my life rather than thinking that, you know, I have to kind of sit there and take what happens to me and that's just my lot just having mm. a little bit more agency. I think that's probably been my biggest life lesson. And, you know, like everybody, I'll fall into my old habits and then I'll kind of try and snap myself out of it. It's like, you know, if something's happening that I'm not happy with and it's like, well, what am I contributing here? What can I change? There mm. may be a sort of big aspect of it that I can't, but what can I change? That's probably been my biggest life lesson. Mm. And there's, I think there's so much more to dig into um, around that because we haven't really spoken about it. Um, in terms of something that I'm still learning... Um, oh gosh, well, I just feel like there's so much that I'm still still learning. Um, I think being in the position that I am, like I think I, I feel really privileged that I, I'm in a situation where I get to see, you know, with clients that, that trust the work that we do at Bracket, mm-hmm. I get to see so many different dynamics um, within relationships and working relationships and I can learn from that. As well. You know, I have my own dynamics that I'm involved in where, of course, I'm not a facilitator, my family, my friends, um, you know, walking out on the street. And, you know, none of us are perfect human beings. Um, but I think that we all have the opportunity to kind of re- reflect. I think, you know, there was an example the other day. Where um and you know it's not a situation I'm proud of, but there was a I was walking down the street and I think it was a really hot day and there was a woman sitting on the curb, mm. um, sort of relatively old lady sort of by the bus stop and I walked past and in my head I kind of thought to myself I wonder if she's okay and I just carried on walking and then a lady behind me went up to her and asked if she was okay mm. and mm. I thought to myself if a thought like that goes into my head I'm not going to let that pass again mm. if I think. I will pass someone in the street and I'm wondering if they're okay. I'm going to ask them. I'm not going to, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that that I'm always trying to kind of, I guess, yeah, improve on. Keep I think in. we're ever going to get mm-hmm. it perfect, but yeah, where where are those situations where you can, I guess, be better interact? You know, when I'm having conversations with my parents, mm-hmm. um, my you know, my aunts, my uncles, you, you sometimes come out of conversations and you think I could have done yeah. better. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah, and that's I guess that's what I'm always learning in those situations. Where are there opportunities to be better? Mm.
0: Continuing to grow. Mm. That's a, yeah. I, I hope everyone has that as a people. A lot of people don't for sure. Like I've done that now. I'm fixed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're about your your book is done. It's about to come out. Well, when is the publication kind of, date?
1: Just quickly, it's the
2: twenty first of November. Oh, oh so right, so
0: really, really soon. Yes, yes,
2: imminent. Sorry. Um, <laughs>
0: Given the, kind of what we've been talking about today, and kind of consolidating it, um, if you imagine, you know, your book launch and that next step, what would what maybe theme would you draw on that you how you might approach it how you might approach that next step differently based on kind of all of these lessons mm. that um, you've learned across your life, if if there's something you might do differently consciously and with intention.
2: I think one of the things that I'm practicing a lot more is, um, not doubting myself. Like I think there's this thing around mm-hmm. like playing a little bit bigger than I've played in the past, um, not learning to, to self-censor less, mm. um, And I guess, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, this is called Time to Show Up, but it's like, how do I show up more? Mm. How do I be more visible as myself without worrying about how that comes across? Mm. Just being myself, I think is, you know, I think this is something that happens as you get older anyway, sort of becoming more comfortable with yourself. But that's something I think definitely that I'd love to step into on the launch of the book. Um, Yeah, just using my voice a bit more.
0: I love that. Yeah. I love playing it big. I like that expression too. Yeah, playing it a too. bit more big. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so is this has actually gone really fast. We're already like over an hour. And so we're going to move to the kind of quick fire. It's, it's quick fire it sounds quite aggressive. Anyways, <laughs> so the closing uh, round. Um, and I'd love to ask, how do you feel? And after- these are short,
0: like, short answers coming (laughs) down from our our big answers (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. that's what makes it quick fire that's what makes it quick yeah um yeah how are you feeling about our our conversation now that we've kind of come to the tail end of it
2: good and i feel like i wish we could go on for another hour because i just feel like
1: there's so much
2: yeah yeah good to explore
0: yeah there's so much to explore Mm. yeah Mm. great and uh did you learn anything new about yourself in in the process Mm. of the conversation today
2: yeah, I think sort of that grounding of the me having experienced that change in myself and connecting that to I guess that self-compassion that I have for myself and connecting that to the mm. compassion that I have for clients in how mm. difficult change is and seeing them through that process. Mm. I love that. One. Yeah. Me
1: too. <laughs> um and then if you now, as Alison from today, could go back and talk to young Alison, when she was 10 years old (laughs) and sit and have a chat with her. What might you say to her and what do you think she might have to say to you?
2: Oh, gosh, this is a bit emotional. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Alison at 10 years old, um, I think, was struggling a little bit just with Mm -hmm. her place. So I think I would, I don't know, give her a bit of reassurance Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. A hug, definitely a hug. Oh nice. <laughs> but I'd wanna tell her I'd wanna I, I'd wanna tell her that sort of the fact that she's different isn't something to be ashamed of and mm. it's you know to kind of step into being unique a bit more. Nice.
0: And what do you think she would say back to you, Alison? Grown-up oh,
2: Alison. She'd probably say, "Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Why do you look like that? I don't know." Yeah, I guess I Alison was was very curious, and um, yeah. yeah.
0: I feel like she might be quite impressed yeah. with you.
2: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Do you <laughs> know <is that> maybe
0: <laughs> someone who's managed to embody that um, what you would what, you, what you're advising your younger yeah. self to have, you know, yeah. to model that. I would hope so, anyway. Yeah. So uh, lots of people will be listening to this interview and drawing on life experience and professional experience. If you just had to choose one piece of advice to give listeners who are trying to find their way professionally and personally, what would that be?
2: Um, Yeah, that life lesson that I had is like, you have more agency than you you think, um, and it doesn't cost anything, um it really is kind of Im- imagining, sort of recognizing the thoughts that you're having mm-hmm. um, and how you're seeing the world and how you're viewing the world and how you react to things. If you kind of start there with that sort of self-awareness and that observation, then it will probably be quite insightful.
1: And if people want to hear more, especially about your new book which is coming out, um, where are the best places for people to find out your, your work and what you're up to? I
2: um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Alison Coward, and um, my website is um, bracketcreative.co.uk mm-hmm. and my book is called Workshop Culture: A Guide to Building Teams That Thrive. Um that's
0: and we will put those links in the show notes. This will probably be yeah. out around the time your book is coming out. Yeah. So uh, yeah. really, really good timing. Yeah.
1: Thank you so Bye. much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to show up with us today. Really appreciate your your candor and honesty and mm. being here with us. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as we did. But that's not all there is to it.
0: Wait, there's more?
1: <laughs> yes, There is. Be sure to tune in to our next episode where Aaron and I will be diving deeper into the themes that came up in this interview.
0: That's right. In the next episode, Natalie and I will not only discuss the salient issues that arose here, but we'll also be pointing to models, theories, and practices from the world of psychology and behavioral science to help you make more sense of them so you can apply them to your own journey.
1: And for those of you who are curious to learn even more, we have developed an online community where you'll be able to find more resources to explore and have opportunities to discuss this and other episodes with other community members in a forum and through live events and AMAs.
0: In this, our first season of Time To Show Up, we're making all this great content freely available to the public. But next season, material from the review episodes, along with the great resources and opportunities for community members to connect, learn and grow, will only be available by subscription.
1: And since we know that listening to material itself isn't enough to facilitate desired change, We've designed this community specifically to give you the support you need to take your learning even further.
0: And if you join us at the start of our journey and sign up before April 5th, 2024, we're offering a no strings three month membership for free at timetoshowup.org.
1: That's right. And if you choose to stay on with us, which we hope you will, we'll give you a 25% early bird discount just to say thank you. If you're tuning in after that April date, don't worry, you can still try out a free two-week membership with no obligation. There are different packages to choose from, and you can find out more and get in touch at timetoshowup.org. Thanks for tuning in. And see you for the review.